Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show, and frankly, it kind of makes us feel good. All right, here's the show. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, a lot to get to. I don't even know where to start, but let's... Let's start with the investigation. All right. So we, we, we now know that, of course, uh, Jeff Sessions testified for a matter of hours before uh, uh, Mueller. And I, I saw some early reporting saying the first cabinet member to, uh, to sit down and be questioned by Robert Mueller. And my first reaction was, really? Are we sure it's the first? And then we learned <laughs> we don't a little while that. later that, no, he wasn't the first. Uh, that that uh, the DNI uh, yeah, member Dan of the Coates. president's cabinet, uh, Dan Coats, had also uh, talked to, uh, to Mueller, as well as the CIA director and uh, Mike Rogers, the National Security Agency head. So, you know... He's been doing a lot more than we know, and this is the theme, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record on, on Mueller, but th- th- this reminds me of the known unknowns uh, that we used to, Rumsfeld used to talk about. The great known unknown we know is that we definitely don't know everything that Robert Mueller has been up to and what he has. And, and take it one other, one other step, and I don't know how Rumsfeld would respond to this, but the things that we know about Robert Mueller's investigation are things that Robert Mueller wants us to know. I got a text from a, a good a good friend, an occasional source yesterday. Said, "Why is it, why is it that we learn about these things in batches? Why are the why are all of these things coming out? We learned on the same day that it's Sessions and Pompeo and Coates and Comey who were all in there. Look, we are on the outside trying to divine the, the the moves and the intentions of a special counsel who has no leaks that we know of. It is helped run a very tight ship." He is trying to send messages when this information comes out. And I would posit that the biggest message that he wants delivered is at the Oval Office itself, because we know from our own reporting that that he continues to want to talk to the President of the United States about very particular incidents that would get to very particular potential crimes. And we, uh, by the way, I'm excited about this edition of Powers Politics. I get excited about every single episode of our podcast, but this one we're going to be talking to Corey Gardner, a senator from Colorado, great defender of the rights of the people of Colorado to legalize marijuana. That's one thing I actually want to talk to him about, but he was also in the room. He was in the room for that extraordinary cabinet meeting. It wasn't a cabinet meeting, but it was in the cabinet room. Uh, where the president talked about his big immigration deal because Cory Gardner had been on that bipartisan group coming up with a deal for the Dreamers that now seems to be dead, 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 dead. But we want to talk what's coming next on that. And Gardner's also the guy that is leading the uh, uh, the the, the uh, uh, senatorial committee for right. the Republicans trying to deal with the midterm election. So a lot to talk to him. And our good friend, former Senator Tom Coburn, is also going to join us for a little bonus at the end of the at the end of the podcast. But you know, before we turn to that, Rick, this Mueller investigation. When you learn that that he has interrogated the. DNI, the CIA director, the head of the National Security Agency, and we know... The Attorney General. Well, but we know that all four of those people answered questions before the cameras to the congressional committees, Mm. and they, all of them, refused to answer questions about what they have 
told Trump at various times and what Trump has asked them to do at various times. They refused to answer, citing executive privilege, invoking executive privilege. Guess what? Does that work with Bob Mueller? Does that? Can, can, what can you say to Bob Mueller? You, you, you it doesn't. Have, so you've got a couple options, right? To be specific, it does not work. Do, so that does not work. You so cannot invoke executive privilege when you are being uh, interrogated by a special counsel. You and, cannot do that. There's no such thing. And 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 the president, if he were to sit down for questioning, which there's ample precedent for fe- previous presidents doing, faces the same questions that they do. Do you take the fifth? say that you don't want to talk because you, you could incriminate yourself. There's political risk to that, very obviously. That would seem rather untenable. Do you tell the whole truth, or do you lie? And it doesn't matter in that sense. Lying's dangerous. You yeah, go to jail. So I've been, or so I've yeah, been told, yeah. and you can, we can ask Michael Flynn about that. But that's what that's really what, what faces them. And, and as the as the, the, the circle tightens, and he gets the people closer and closer to this, it does seem, from all accounts, and what, what there seems to be focused on, that in addition to the Russia meddling, which we always knew was there, we always knew that was the original charge of this investigation, there is an intense focus on potential obstruction of justice. And the circumstances around the firing of James Comey standing at the center of this, these are people that were in the room and aware of the negotiations and the discussions that were going on internally. And we'll be have to tell have to tell Bob Mueller and his team specifically what they heard, what they, what they saw, what they were told in real time from the President of the United States himself. And there is going to be, I think an epic battle over whether or not the president will sit down and agree to be to answer questions from the special counsel's team. I think this is going to be a two-part battle. I think there's going to be an epic battle between the president's legal team and the special counsel to try to wall him off from having to do this. They, they will propose written questions. They will propose everything they can possibly do to keep him from sitting down for an interrogation. But I also think that there will be another level of battle here. I think there will be a war between the president and his own legal advisors because (laughs) I believe the president of the United States ultimately believes that he can go in there and tell Mueller like it is. Well, that we we have seen there is there is ample there's ample information out there for the president's lawyers to shape their advice. Whether the president chooses to take it or not is another another issue. We have seen through depositions, and he's been involved in hundreds, if not thousands, of lawsuits over the years in multiple depositions, some of which are remain private, others of which have been public. There's news organizations that, that, that dive in. He guess what? The same thing he does in public, he has done in private to lawyers, which is to contradict himself, to kind of shade away what he has said in the past, to admit sometimes that what he said in the past wasn't exactly true. Uh, and you could actually argue that he has been outright misleading in, in episodes there. Uh, with a, No, I know. It's, it, it's true. And the other piece of evidence is just what he has said in public, including to people like you, John. Well, I mean, didn't 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 he tell you at one point that uh, that that he would sit down with Mueller one hundred percent? Well, one hundred percent. I mean, there's some wiggle room there, right? He didn't say ninety nine percent. Do do the president's lawyers trust him to answer questions under oath for any period of time? Man, that would be tough advice for any lawyer to say, Mr. President. Yeah, go ahead and 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 good luck with that. Well, let me answer that question in this way. I have spoken, Rick to two different people very close to the president, people that have uh, worked very closely with this president, neither of whom I should say is on the president's legal team, but two different individuals, distinct individuals, um, who about as close to the president, I think, as, as, as you can get, certainly the, the, the political president, who have told me that separately, in their view, 
it would be a disaster yeah. for the president to sit down for an extended interview with Robert Mueller or, any, or his uh, special counsel team and their counsel to the president, which they have both been a, in a position to give directly to the president, is to resist at all costs. And they've warned him of things like perjury trap, this, that, and the other thing. But their real reason, I don't know if they, can actually, if they actually express it this way to the president, is they think that he... They think that, it, that, that, that that he will implode, that it will be a bad thing, that Mueller will only get ammunition sitting down with the president. Yeah, and that they, they just don't trust him to, to handle himself, which I think actually it brings to the other big storyline of the week, which is the, the, the very short-lived government shutdown, uh, Chuck Schumer caves, the president seems to get a bit of a political win. It sets up this extraordinary circumstance where you have this deadline looming uh, in another couple of weeks where all of these big immigration issues are, are crashing together. And I found it intriguing, John, that during the... Not just immigration. I mean, we have a lot. I mean, it's they're all... all it's the like spending as well. The, the yes. spending, I mean, this was a tremendous victory. We're keeping the government open for three weeks. And I, f- I found it fascinating that during the, the that, that famous now meeting at the White House to try to end the shutdown, Chuck Schumer publicly acknowledging that he offered up full border wall funding in exchange for legalization for the so-called Dreamers, for codifying DACA. And that is got to be an intriguing deal to the president of the United States. And it seemed to me like, wow, Chuck Schumer just gave away the store, but then he tried to take it back. Yeah, so so he will <laughs> be Yes. Can you do that? I mean that's that's a question, but that's that Let's that's, hear exactly what he said. Thought was that we could come to an agreement that afternoon, the president would announce his support, and then the Senate and House would get it done and it would be on the president's desk. Uh he didn't do that. So we're gonna have to uh start start uh on a new basis and uh the wall offers off the table. Okay, so Rick, but the problem with that is do you remember the other meeting in the White House, in the cabinet room that we talked about before? Yeah, sure. Uh, when, when the president had that kind of, you know, the act of love kind of uh, meeting about how they were going to come up with a big agreement and they were all going to be hunky-dory and they're going to protect the dreamers and how important it was, a bill of love and all that. And do you remember as we, we were in there for like 55 minutes or so uh, and then as we were headed out, I asked the president a question. Do you remember this? Well, let's let's share that with the listeners, shall we? Is there any agreement without the wall? Uh, no. Right? There would be. So the wall has to be there. You need it. John, you need the wall. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I'd love not to build the wall, but you need the wall. So there you go. Schumer now says the wall's off the table. The president has consistently said, hey, there ain't no deal without the wall. Well, I, th- that's what a standoff's all about. I, I, look, I, I think, and we'll talk to Senator Gardner about this in a minute, I think it's impossible to see a deal that works in the Senate or the House or for the president that doesn't involve both of these things. It may not have to involve that much more. It may not have to be as complicated as people are making it right now. Uh, and I think Senator Schumer offered up a lot of it right now. It seems like it's it, it, there's some posturing that has to happen until we get to where everyone expects to get. But those expectations have blown up in people's faces because right now, I mean, the whole deal to reopen the government was based on trust. It was trust on Senator Schumer's part and the Democrats' part that, that, that McConnell would make good on his work. But there's almost no trust in Washington. But what does McConnell, what did he commit to exactly? He, Can you to, remind me? To, 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 uh, Intending to proceed to votes on the issue of immigration, what? including Say taking care of the doctors, intending promised. to proceed to proceed to votes, very he, squishy. So that's my point. He promised that he intends to proceed to votes on the. Yes. That doesn't sound like a our, guarantee that there's going to be a well. Our next a bill our, passed to to 
protect the dreamers. Our next guest, uh, Senator Gardner, tur- told Aaron Katursky that this is, amounts to a pinky swear. So we'll see where that has the force of force of law. But but that's my point. No one trusts anyone. So truly, Schumer doesn't trust McConnell. The Democrats don't trust the Republicans. Guess what else? The Senate Republicans don't trust the House Republicans right, to well, take up well, their look, deal. Look, I trust that our next guest is going to give us honest and direct informative answers on all these questions. Senator Cory Gardner, Republican senator from the state of Colorado, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Great to be with you. A direct answer. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Um, So uh, we we were just talking about we have this uh, apparent standoff. You were there. You were in the room, in the cabinet room, during that extraordinary time when they allowed people like me to stick around uh, for for nearly an hour as, as you guys hashed out what seemed to be uh, an impending immigration deal. But now we have Senator Schumer saying, hell no, his, his offer on wall funding is off the table, and the president uh, making it clear that if he doesn't get his wall, there's going to be no deal. How do we get out of this? Yeah, well, and, and I said early on, way before that meeting at the White House, uh, that if this debate is about politics, we're not going to get anywhere. Because people on the left who want the politics and people on the right who want the politics will get to keep the politics. Uh, and, uh, you know, for different reasons, they'll have it their way and nothing gets solved and they'll run it to the to the, the election day. Uh, and uh, I think everybody in this country gets hurt if that wins, if that prevails. Uh, if policy prevails, then I think we have an opportunity to get something done. It won't be easy. I don't know what it looks like today. We have the president's outline, uh, but I do think there are enough people who are serious about this that we can actually accomplish something uh, to address what 70, 80 percent of the American people believes needs to be addressed today. Okay, well, you had been working as part of the Gang of Six or whatever whatever we, we call you guys that was bipartisan. Yeah, I, at one point I said we have, like, gangs of prime numbers around here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and you, you know, you, you, you had a, uh, the outlines of, of an agreement that was going to give the president $1.6 billion for his wall, another billion dollars for border security. You were going to do something on, on chain migration, making it impossible for, the, for the, 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 the legalized dreamers to bring in their parents. And you were going to do away with the visa lottery, although the White House said that, that it wasn't good enough. Um, but that that compromise was rejected out of hand by uh, some of your colleagues in the Senate, by the White House, and the House made it clear it was never going to fly in the House. So I, I believe the way you had described it was an agreement that gave the president everything he asked for. So, I mean, what more? Yeah, so I, I do think it hit every single point that he wanted, but it would be naive of me to say that this is going to get everybody on board day one and it would be signed into law on day two. Uh, and so I, I think we recognize, well, here's here, just one fundamental challenge. I mean, uh, we, we put $1.6 billion in it for the border wall, $1.1, $1.2 billion in it for uh, you know, other border security efforts like uh, personnel and uh, you know p- trying to keep retention efforts strong when it comes to retaining uh, officers uh, on the border. Law enforcement on the border, those kind of things. That number was not just pie in the sky. That was a number that came from the president's 2018 budget request. Why did we use that number? It wasn't like we thought that this number is exactly the magic sweet spot that everybody's been looking for. We chose it because it was a known number. It was the president's budget request. And so, you know, on a lot of these points, this is a starting point. We knew that this is how we could put this forward and use it as a basis to gain bipartisan support. Now, uh, you know, 
<laughs> rejected out of hand. It certainly was. But I think it's something that we can still build on. And, and if we can get more clarity of what the White House is looking for, if we can get more clarity of what Democrats and Republicans can support together, then I do think it becomes a, a pretty good structure to build out on. So is those talks continuing? You're still There's still a gang that's operative and, and operating and trying to get another proposal back? There are. I mean, we've already met. We met on the very same day that uh, the the continuing resolution passed. Uh, bipartisan groups of senators trying to figure out how to move forward. Uh, and then, obviously, there are different uh, elements within both the Democrat and Republican conference. We're engaging all of them, trying to figure out, okay, how do we start this debate? What does it look like? And then, how do we bridge the differences between uh, the two, uh, two, three, four, five different uh, approaches to this? So you're you're one of the most optimistic politicians that I've ever I've ever come to contact with. I, I've actually Senator offered Sunbeam, right? Wasn't I've, that what the uh, was like a variation? I think on it was the... over caffeinated hamster. I think. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. I've offered a cash bounty for anyone that can find an actual photographic evidence of Senator Cory Gardner scowling. It's got to be out there somewhere. <laughs> it, the, the, the prize is there. You, you, nobody took pictures of me during Denver Bronco games. Oh, well, that's <laughs> good. That's a good tip. So, but, but so, Cory, so, so given your optimism, if you're a dreamer, if you're a DACA recipient, and you've got a lot of them in Colorado, you've got to be worried right now. And you're looking at the deadline of, of, uh, of March 5th, where, where the applications start to expire. You have the White House, the, the administration, suing in federal court to end DACA to end this program, uh, and you have no firm bill in in the Senate that the president's willing to sign, to say nothing of even a promise that the House would take up anything, what are you telling DACA recipients as of today that, that they should be preparing for just in a couple of weeks' time? Look, number one, I don't think anybody is going to be, uh, no matter what happens, I don't believe anybody is going to be uh, deported. I don't think anybody, uh, there's not going to be this mass deportation uh, on this. That's, that's first and foremost. So p- please know that Congress is working very hard to solve this uh, and not using that as an excuse, but using that as the reality, uh, knowing that we then have to solve this problem. So we take away any shred of uncertainty, fear, concern. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we do, I believe, have a majority uh, in the Senate and a majority in the House, uh, that path to, to get it is tricky. But, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about some of the ideas that people like David Perdue and Tom Cotton have put out recently, uh, I think there is a beginning of, 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 you know, shape taking place that we can all come to agreement with. And, you know, the idea isn't to come up with just any combination of 279 people, 218 votes in the House, 60 votes in the Senate, and one person at the White House. The combination of 279 is important because if it's all Democrats that make up the majority of that, you know, the 60 votes, I don't know that the House will accept it. If it's all Republicans, I don't know if we can get all 60 votes that we need in the Senate. So uh, this is going to be tricky. But to to those dreamers out there, I am committed to finding a, a solution. I'm committing to finding an answer. Our daughter goes to school with with incredible uh, boys and girls who are first generation Americans who were brought here. Many of them uh, very young. Uh, not even, you know. So so I am committed to this because of my community, my state, and I think. I, there are good faith people on both sides of the aisle who are going to get this done. So I appreciate your optimism on on that, but I was sitting in the White House when uh, the, the question of possible deportations beginning March 5th was asked, and the White House press secretary, this is the person who's speaking on behalf of the White House, would not rule out 
uh, that 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 uh, Dreamers would begin facing deportation. So, uh, you know, and I, I thought I, I thought at that meeting that I that I heard Secretary Nielsen say no, uh, and you know maybe maybe I saw her shake her head or and didn't verbalize it, but I, I, I'd have to go back and and listen to. Obviously, there were a lot of microphones in the room, uh, but it's uh, I think it's important, uh, and I'll continue to have that conversation with the White House. Yeah, and and, and I w- I was talking specifically about a White House briefing, uh, so not not ah, not in okay, that meeting. Okay. This is this is uh, Sarah Huckabee. Sanders uh, was asked this question directly this week, and uh, she said that, 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 that no decision had been made on that yet, and there was no guarantee one way or the other. That can't be very reassuring uh, to, to dreamers right now. I agree with you that I, I don't think it's likely that we're going to start seeing a, a round them up and deport, deport them movement, especially given what the president has said in the past. But when you don't have that reassurance and your legal protection goes away, uh, it must be, it, you know, puts you in a very uneasy spot. But I, I, I wanted to uh, ask you beyond all this, I know you obviously have a very important role kind of leading the Republican efforts uh, in the midterm elections to, uh, to retain the Senate. And you, you took a, uh, a strong stand in the Alabama uh, Senate race um, uh, during, during the primary uh, in saying that Roy Moore was, was, was not a, uh, you know, was not somebody that, that Republicans should choose as, a, uh, as their standard bearer in that Senate race. I've got to ask you, there, there's another primary out there in Arizona featuring Joe Arpaio, who uh, every bit as controversial as Roy Moore. This is somebody who, among other things, still insists that uh, that, that uh, Barack Obama's birth certificate was a fake and uh, that he somehow is not, not, not a real American citizen. And convicted of criminal contempt for defying judges' orders on the very issues that we're talking about here. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I assume in your role in the Senatorial Campaign Committee that you are going to weigh in against Joe Arpaio? Well, look, we're, we haven't weighed in in Arizona, and I don't anticipate weighing in in Arizona. I don't think uh, uh, the people of Arizona will will choose a, a candidate that uh, doesn't represent their values, and uh, so so I don't think we'll have to ever face that question because uh, there are going to be a number of people in that race, including people like Martha McSally, who are very very talented for. Uh, the people of Arizona, and uh, that's just a question I don't think we have. But I mean, the accusations on Roy Moore were uh, obviously uh, the predatory behavior toward young girls, and uh, corroborated by dozens of other women independently. Uh, and so I don't even know if you can compare the two. I certainly wouldn't even want to try to do that. But I don't think that's a question that we'll face in Arizona. But but let me let me just try to make sure I understand your answer. Uh, are you suggesting? Are you saying? that Joe Arpaio is not somebody who represents the values of Republican voters in Arizona? That's the people of Arizona, I think, will make that decision. And what, I is, what, uh, what does Cory Gardner he, think? Yeah. Well, look, it's not up to me. It's up to the people of I Arizona. Understand. But uh, I think uh, there's going to be plenty of choices in this race, and I don't think it's a choice, the decision, or a decision that the senatorial committee is ever going to have to make. So uh, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the a little bit of a standoff that uh, you're engaged in right now with the attorney general. We'll have a lot of say potentially in these immigration uh, uh, decisions as well. But but critically, the new guidance that he issued to federal prosecutors about how to handle marijuana of particular interest to Colorado, which has been at the vanguard of the legalized marijuana movement, you announced at the time you were going to put a hold on on nominations that come out of the Justice Department until you get clarity. I'm curious, has there been any advancement in what you've been told by by Attorney General Sessions, and do you view what he is saying now as public posture as uh, being antithetical to the promise, this explicit promises that he made to you, either publicly or privately, regarding marijuana? So, so I'm somebody who opposed legalization when this uh, question was put before the people of Colorado. 
Uh, I did not support it, but the people of Colorado spoke. Uh, they supported it. They moved forward with recreational marijuana. Uh, I believe if that vote were held today, that would actually pass by a greater margin uh, today than it did then. Uh, and uh, when I met, so it was a very important thing for me to learn from then-Senator Sessions how he would approach this as Attorney General. And in my conversations with uh, uh, the, the nominee, uh, Senator Sessions had said that uh, we all know that he opposes uh, legalization of marijuana. There's no doubt about that. But uh, he felt that he didn't have the bandwidth, so to speak, to address any change in marijuana policy, uh, that reversing the coal memorandum wasn't on his agenda, uh, that he didn't believe President Trump wanted to focus on this. Uh, and it was not just me. Uh, there are a number of senators, in, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, who were told or believed the same thing. Uh, I have met with the Attorney General since then. That meeting really didn't uh, result in anything uh, new. Uh, our staff, my staff, has met with the Department of Justice staff. We'll continue to do so. Uh, and uh, we'll continue to work with the colleagues on both sides of the aisle to address this. There are 30-some states now across the country that have either legalized marijuana and me medical marijuana or recreational marijuana. Uh, the public sentiment, uh, I think probably 60% of the American public support uh, mar marijuana or at least oppose the federal government imposing its will on the states. Uh, so it's going to be something that has to be worked out, and uh, I hope it is worked out to give certainty to these states. It's, to me, a states' rights issue, a matter of uh, uh, 10th Amendment concerns, as well as uh, interstate commerce, where a state can intrastate, uh, like marijuana is, uh, determine its, uh, its, its commerce. So you said two things I want to clarify. You said that you opposed it at the time when, uh, w when the issue came before Colorado voters. You were not in favor of legalization. And you said if it came up again that it would pass by a bigger margin. So my question is, would Cory Gardner be one of those people in Colorado who opposed it the first time around, but now seeing how it's been implemented and seeing what's happened, would you now support legalization of marijuana? Yeah, I, don't, I haven't changed my opinion, but the people of Colorado, I'm standing up for the people of Colorado. Uh, and so I'm going to do what the people of Colorado uh, did, uh, stand up for what they I'm going to stand up for what they said they would do, uh, which is legalize marijuana. I haven't changed my mind, but the fact is the people of Colorado spoke. Okay. Corey Gardner of Colorado, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. We hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Did John Take get care. a scowl out of you in the yeah. interview? Hey, by, by the way, way I, I think he did now. scowl. I'm, I'm scowling now. Okay, good. Yes, yeah, and I, I think that that whole Sessions thing did cause a little bit of a scowl. I don't know. But that's, uh, <laughs> thank you, Senator. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks. So uh, there you go, man. I mean, Cory Gardner. At the middle of it all. I mean, look. He, he I is think right because, in the middle of it all. Because he is running the, 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 the Senate campaign arm, that's important. He also represents Colorado, which is an, it, not, just the, not just the marijuana issue, the Dreamer issue. The, it's, it's such a great battleground to, to, to dive into. But I, I, think, I think there's something in, in what he said there of, of needing more clarity from the president. That's been one of the themes we've heard over and over again from Democrats and Republicans over the last couple of weeks. We want to know where the president stands. Mitch McConnell's practically begging for that. Chuck Schumer felt like he had a deal or the outlines of a deal only yep. to see that this, go away. Th this is why we've proposed a long time, and this is Dave Rind and Avery Miller, who worked very hard on this podcast, have, have, have been pushing for this, but it's like a weekly appearance of the president on the powerhouse politics, <laughs> just to make clear all this stuff. I've, I, clear I, up all I the guarantee things. that would make it all crystal clear. Yes, absolutely. Right. That's the kind of clarity we need. Hey, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be joined by Senator Tom Coburn. Hey, this is Dan Harris, and uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. 
and you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Ariana Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. All right, we're joined now by former Senator Tom Coburn from Oklahoma. Rick, by the way, one of my favorite senators <laughs> to cover, covering Capitol Hill. Senator Coburn, thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. So I, I, I saw you were uh, going to be in Washington, and I have to say that I had been thinking about you because not that long ago, I found myself in the cabinet room of the White House, and the president was there meeting with a bipartisan group of senators talking about immigration when suddenly out of nowhere he said maybe what we need to do is bring back earmarks bring back earmarks and then we'll all get along again and most of the people in that room seem to agree with him in fact lindsey graham said we could start with uh, the charleston harbor um he's got some ideas there but you were the guy who led the crusade one of them I think, a leader of the crusade to do away with congressional earmarks and all forms of uh, what we used to call pork barrel spending. So what is going on? Well, I think that's just a lack of knowledge of what the real result of earmarks were. You know, at some point in time, there were tens of thousands of earmarks, and uh, most of them unaccountable, and most of them, especially when you run a deficit, is not the best way to spend money. When when the federal government's already spending $400 billion a year on things that they don't need and proven by the Government Accountability Office to spend another $50 billion on earmarks to buy people's votes to do what they should do without being bought is exactly what... So how do we end up in a situation where we have a Republican president proposing to basically bring them back for the purpose of, I mean, I mean buying people's support, it seemed to be, and Republicans in the room all essentially agreeing with him. What happened? Well, I, I actually, I saw that interview, and I saw him laugh. I don't think they necessarily agreed. I think there was a laugh after he said that. Uh, here's what I can tell you. The American people don't agree with that. The American people, you know, Congress doesn't have a very good rating. Uh, the government doesn't have a very good rating, but the ratings aren't what's important. What's important is trust. And if we go back to the age, you know, I'm sitting here looking at sheets of paper where people are in jail from earmarks, and you can name them, uh, and and some of them are still in jail. Uh, so so the fact is is no matter how transparent you say you can make this, it's going to get abused. The second thing is is when they embrace earmarks, they say, well, Congress has the right to tell us where to spend money. That's true. But they also, if they're going to follow that aspect of the Constitution, they have to follow the aspect of the Constitution in terms of the limitation of powers that they have elicited in the enumerated powers. And they don't. And so you end up with billions of dollars of money used to buy people's votes 
to do what otherwise they would have done anyway if they're if they're true to their oath coming to Washington. And so it's the same old game. And so what will happen is if airmarks come back, I can tell you the Republicans won't be in power. They will lose the next election big time. And they shouldn't be in power if they bring back that kind of biased tool that is used by the most senior members, the members of the Appropriation Committee, or members of the Appropriation Committee that are buying votes on something else by putting something in Appropriation Committee. It's anything but transparent, and it's anything but above board. So I know you're you're in in town talking about a new venture, our pursuit, which in part uh-huh. seeks to, to educate people about earmarks. But I want to I want to throw this at you a, a little bit because I think you'd concede that President Trump is a different kind of president than any that you served alongside in Washington, or that probably anyone alive can can remember in terms of how he does business and how he conducts himself. And to my mind. What explain what's wrong about what his style would be? Because when he said bring back earmarks, he didn't mean it as a joke. He meant, look, I want to be able to, to do that kind of horse trading. I want to be, basically be able to legalize bribe uh, people to people in Congress to take these projects and and trade it for a vote. Isn't that the transactional style that people supported when they voted for President Trump? Wouldn't it help no, President no, Trump no. govern? I don't think they voted deal making. What they voted for was putting muzzles on the alligators in the swamp or draining the swamp or doing what people said they would do. I mean, yeah, if you if you go back out, and I was in 32 states last year. I rode on airplanes all year long talking to people. They still don't like him. What they do like is what he's done on regulation. They are going to like what he's done on taxes, the vast majority of them. And they are going to like what he ends up getting done on immigration. And so they didn't vote for somebody that was a deal maker. They voted for somebody to do things different. No, but and, and so, he, but but it, but but you're confusing two issues. You're saying he he didn't write the earmarks. They, right. He already has the power to write earmarks. He doesn't have to have earmarks in Congress to be able to buy votes. He can just say, "I'll put this in your district if you'll vote for this," because he's got discretionary money in every administrative branch he has. And the Congress is so lazy they don't oversight how the money's being spent. So would Tom Corbin be okay with that? Huh? Would you be okay with that? I mean, if he's if he says if, if forget forget the, the the technical term for earmarks and that has its own connotations and it, and you're right it brings a, a host of things that have been potentially illegal over the years. But if he were to say, look, uh, I'll give you this bridge in your district. I will give you this money in particularly. If he says that to individual members of Congress, is that a better system? Sure, it's a better system because of that. In fact, doesn't lead. You know, that's an above board. I'm I'm going to trade you some discretionary money out of the, the the transportation department that you otherwise wouldn't get if you'll vote for this. All right? That's above board. That's out. You're going to find that out. That sounds What's like a vote. In earmarks. Earmarks get buried, so you never know who did it. Mm. Even though they may be one, they'll continue forever. There are earmarks that are still going off from 40 years ago, and uh, and you don't know who the guy. And and it's. And not for any purpose other than send money to one particular location and no accountability and no control over it. Well, Senator, I'll pull back to get to the bigger point which you raised, which is our out-of-control spending and and runaway deficits. We're now looking at a situation where we're going to have trillion-dollar deficits, and I saw... Uh, some CBO numbers, uh, Congressional Budget Office numbers that showed five years from now, 
we will be spending more, our government will be spending more on interest payments on our debt than we are on national defense. Five years from now, the only thing, five years from now, the only thing that we will not be borrowing money for will be interest on the debt, the, the continuing uh, cost of, of, of programs like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and that's all the money we'll have. And so any discretionary money will have to go to the Defense Department and all these other agencies by borrowing debt. So, so right now we're at $144 trillion of unfunded liabilities that's going to occur over the next 75 years, which is $1,500,000 over the next 75 years for every millennial in the country, the largest demographic that we have today. So when people say, well, we want Medicare for all, all you have to do is that. How do you pay for it? Because what we got now, so if we put everybody onto that, how do we pay for it? Nobody wants to answer that question. And so the question is either we become a pure socialist country and eventually fail, or do we start living within our means? And the problem is, is most members of Congress don't have the backbone to make the hard choices because they're more interested in getting reelected than they are in doing what's best for our long-term health. Finally, Senator, before we let you go, notice that a comment you made in the New York Times recently where you said the president has a personality disorder, but that his, his supporters would stick with him because it's essentially what they – uh, what they voted for was to, he is he is who he said he would be. Well, yeah, expand well, on that a little bit. Personality and, disorder. It, it, it's not mental illness. Right. It's a personality disorder. He believes what he believes, and truth doesn't necessarily matter. So he'll say something, and that's what he believes. And so, so his personality disorder is how do I be compassionate and say, hey, I was wrong? Well, there's a lot of us that can't say I'm wrong. So he's not any different than that. But the fact is. What he stands for, the vast majority of the people that are out there in middle America believe in is less government, more money kept in my pocket, more efficiency, less regulation, and stand up for what you mean and do it every day and be consistent with what you believe. And so, you know, you, you look at the crises, crises around the world. I think we got a good deal out of Iran now that they're launching intercontinental ballistic missiles. And they're developing nuclear weapons. You think did Korea that, or did he create that? I mean, the, the fact is, is we've been run over and not stood up in a long time. And Americans are happy that they're not necessarily happy with Donald Trump per se, but they sure are happy with his policies. So, just to, just to follow up, your sense then is you're okay with saying well, the president has a personality disorder, but we can manage around it, or we. Benefit I'm just from saying, the thirty or forty percent of America has a personality disorder. If you <laughs> sit there and use diagnostic skill, so I didn't say anything. You know, the fact is, is he's gregarious. He's outward, outgoing. He believes what he says when he says it. Uh, that's not unusual. You see that every you run into those people every day. Well, we don't run into people exactly like Donald Trump every day. I can promise you that. We're like Tom Coburn. <laughs> we miss you. We miss you, Senator. A senator who definitely said it like it was and still does. Thank you for joining us on Powerhouse you Politics, bet. Senator. God bless you. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. Uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say I saw a couple possible headlines in there, Rick. Uh, the, <laughs> the, but, but the one is the Republicans will not remain in power 
if uh, if they go back to earmarks. Yeah. I guess we could have done the follow-up question, will they remain in power? If anyway? they don't, yeah, yeah, that's a, a great question. But no, I mean, I think I, I think his diagnosis, so to speak, of, of the way President Trump thinks about that maybe President Trump didn't understand what he was saying in endorsing earmarks uh, wholesale because President Trump may be able to do the kind of wheeling and dealing without them and say, and, and just say, I'm giving you the money and there's something above board about that, that whole arrangement. I do think that the earmark era, and Tom Corbin reminds us of this, is misremembered by those who think it was some kind of a noble oh, they pursuit. they all got along. Yeah, Come no, and, and that's, not, that's not how it worked. And he's right. People went to jail over some of the wheeling and dealing, Duke and Cunningham. they were, Duke Cunningham and that vote, they were designed to obfuscate, to confuse the matter. And I, I find it, you know, if the president is going to say, I am giving you this for this, I think there is something refreshing about that, and let voters decide whether it's appropriate. That, that's that's uh, I, I don't, an I don't honest level I don't know if we want to give the president the idea of starting to buy votes by offering <laughs> to uh, Let the voters, let, let the voters ask out but yeah i mean come on man come on all right that's all the time we have now for this edition of powerhouse politics we will be back again next week same time